you're enjoying the fastest known podcast please let us know by rating and reviewing it in itunes if you have a guest suggestion please send that person to me craig at craig at fastestknowntime.com and if you have feedback on how we can improve the show or anything to change please send that to me as well and finally each monday morning we send out a newsletter with the best fkts of the week it's a cool way to keep up with what's going on and learn more about the culture of the sport sign up for it at fastestknowntime.com slash newsletter Welcome back. Welcome back, everyone, to the Fastest Known Podcast, where we don't putz around. We get right to the point. Today is October 11th. This podcast, of course, will be released on Friday. But today is Monday, Indigenous People Day, also known as Columbus Day. I think it's fine to have it be both. Columbus was an amazing explorer. He did amazing things. He didn't quite discover America. I think the people already lived here were a little bit offended by that. But still, I think these two go hand in hand, particularly as long as Indigenous People Day is celebrated simultaneously. So with that little note out of the way, we have an Indigenous person right here. (laughs) This person is a Colorado native, and he still lives in Bonedale, also known as Carbondale, works up in Aspen, Colorado, and I am talking to Joe Demore. Welcome, Joe. Thank you, Buzz. Yeah, really appreciate it. Yeah, well, this is fun. We had your brother Seth on the podcast last year. I'll put a link to that in our written show notes. And now we have you here because you've been getting after it, haven't you? 37 <laughs> FKTs and counting, right? I mean, you're you're uh, you're kind of on a roll. I mean, I, I see all the feeds. You know, it, every every FKT comes in. I I don't review it personally, but I see it. It's like Joseph Demore, Joseph Demore, Joseph Demore. <laughs> so let let me look at. uh Oh, I should have counted this up in advance. Did you count how many in this year alone? Uh this year, no. I think there are definitely more last year. Um, but yeah, I don't know for sure. Probably maybe ten or so this year. Well, there you go. This is typical. I just counted 15 is the correct answer. <laughs> you say 10. Nice. So that's, uh, yeah. So I should note to our audience, uh, occasionally people contact us and want to be on the podcast, which is great. So if you uh, think uh, other people would like to hear what you have to say, terrific. Send us a note. And other times people recommend other people, which is what happened with you, Joe. Someone said, you got to talk to Joe. And so I normally send it out and people say, hey, yeah, great. I love it. But you, and I'm going to quote you here if you don't mind. You said, I realize this is a bit about talking about myself, which I have to admit is one of my least favorite activities. <laughs> yeah, that is, uh, that is true. Um, I don't know. A couple of years ago, one of my running buddies, Jason, he nicknamed me the uh, quiet crusher. <laughs> I, uh, I guess kind of prefer to fly under the radar a bit. And, uh, um, I don't know. Some people think it's cause I'm humble. Honestly, I think it's more so the people around me kind of do the bragging for me and, uh, they kind of hype for me. I don't have to, uh, I guess I don't have to talk about myself a ton, which I'm super fortunate to have those people to around me that do it for me. <laughs> Well, I but see here, it's happening right now. So what's really happening is you are a humble person. You <laughs> are from the Colorado mountains. I mean, you grew up in Buny, right? 
Yep. Yeah. AKA. Yep. I'm sorry. Here we are. We're, we're talking Colorado vernacular here. Buni means Buena Vista <laughs> down yep. in the uh, upper Arkansas. And so that, that's where you grew up. And now you live in Bonedale, Carbondale, yeah, on the yeah. Roaring Fork Valley. Yeah, exactly. Just kind of moved one valley over. But yeah, I grew up in BV. Uh, it was still a one stoplight town when I was growing up there. <laughs> and now there's two stoplights. So. Uh, <laughs> It's really, uh, it's grown a bit, I guess. Right. But that means you have a, there's a certain, what is, shall we call it, a little bit of a cowboy heritage, stylistically, where you talk about oneself would be anathema. I mean, you just don't do that. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't really thought of it in that sense around the kind of cowboy uh, aspect, but no, that's, that's a good point. Yeah, I think. You know, my roots in BV, kind of, uh, you know, some of a, a blue-collar, hardworking kind of town, tight-knit community. Um, yeah, no, I think that's uh, that all lines up. <laughs> well, it, <laughs> sorry, I keep chuckling here because besides the 37 FKTs, you also just were at Mount Hood in Oregon for the U.S. Mount Running Championships where you finished third, which means in 2022, you're going for the World Mountain Running Championships. So congratulations. That's a big deal. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate it. That's uh, that's a, a type of running, type of racing, I guess, I've been focusing on the last couple of years. So it felt really good to, uh, to qualify for that team. And the person, of course, we, we all know who won. yeah we share the the same first name yep he's uh yeah yeah joe won and uh yeah it's just awesome to be in the race with uh guys like joe and max king and then eddie owens he got fourth uh which is pretty awesome and andy wacker was right up there in the mix so uh yeah fun uh fun group of guys to be racing with and uh definitely have to bring your a game Right. Well, it's interesting, Joe, because about 10, even 15 years ago, somehow ultra running came into strong prominence. It started in the United States. It wasn't a thing overseas. And I had friends would occasionally come over from Europe and they'd say, why do you go so long? They, they couldn't figure it out. You know, why, why did jogging become such a thing? But the mountain running has, has been here all along, of course. And that's what you're doing. And like you said, you have to bring your A-game because when the gun goes off, man, there's a cloud of dust. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it is. It's, uh, it is almost kind of on a different spectrum from, from ultra running. It's definitely fast paced and, and, uh, I, yeah, I've, I've gravitated towards, I guess I've stayed in the shorter distances, um, relatively short. I kind of joke around that, you know, I come from a, a track and cross country background where a half marathon is actually in a marathon. It's actually a long, that's a long race. So, um, yeah, I guess we've just kind of really, uh, expanded on that in the ultra running <laughs> explosion. Right. Well, officially a 5k is long distance. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you know, 12 and a half laps on a track is, uh, or, you know, doing a 10k on track that's a long race so oh yeah that's that's officially long distance and a marathon is longer than long distance so just for people who may be newer to the sport might not quite have the perspective mm-hmm. that uh, long distance is 5k and up to a marathon and then obviously 
ultra just means more than a marathon. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hmm. Well, Joe, well, you remind me of Joe and I, I, I've quoted Joe before, but you remind me of this again, because I think this is what you're doing. He noted that there's a lot of people making a career or trying to on social media. You know, they, they, they post. They right, say, right. Hey, yep. look at me. Look at me. Look what I'm doing. And which, you know, then the brands who might sponsor them want to see them become, <laughs> sorry to use this terminology, but it's true, influencers. Right? <laughs> yeah. So you get a lot of followers on social media. And if you get 10,000 followers and you say, hey, I'm doing this, and then that brand say, hey, they've got 10,000 people talking about our shoe, our T-shirt, our headlamp or whatever. But Joe said... And the other way to do it is to win races. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's uh, that's spot on. Um, I think you have to win the right races, though. I think there is definitely still too much emphasis on kind of that social media influencer um, kind of aspect to professional running. I'm not a professional runner, not sponsored at all. and uh, And I have had companies basically tell me, you know, Hey, get, get some more followers, do some more posts, and then maybe we can talk or win UTMB. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's a tough, yeah, it's, it's kind of a tough, uh, part of our sport in some ways. I think that running ambassadorships and some of these kind of pseudo sponsorships in some ways are holding our sport back. I think that companies are getting a lot of free or semi-free advertising for for gear discounts and things like that so i don't want to <laughs> be too much on a soapbox or whatever but um yeah it's an interesting interesting part of the sport that is interesting so you actually have had that conversation i i just kind of put it out there but you've had the actual conversation where they said get some more followers and then we'll sponsor you they didn't care about your running per se, your talent, uh, excellence, commitment, uh, values. It was that social following, or when you at UTMB. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, and and that's kind of I, I remember trying to kind of sell myself on my values and some of my some of my race results, and and I guess naively underestimating how important the follower count was. <laughs> so I've learned more about that, I guess, in the last couple of years. And um, yeah, like I said, it's, it's, it's interesting and I hope it changes someday. I hope that companies can kind of recognize, you know, valuing a person and like you said, their dedication. I think that's, that's very important. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I'm contemplating this. I, I appreciate this. Wow. So you have that lifestyle. I mean, you, you could be in a Patagucci, you know, ad, <laughs> right? You know, it's a catalog, you know, the Patagonia catalog where there's someone you know, riding a horse through, you know, Jackson, Wyoming, or, you know, just stuff like that. And there, so we record audio on the podcast, but we actually, we can see each other on video just so people know. We don't record the video. At all. We don't want to record video. No one wants to see what I look like. That'd just be <laughs> awful. But I can tell 
the listeners that you are wearing this pretty sharp looking flannel shirt <laughs> and this trucker hat that I don't think means you're a hipster. I think this is the real deal. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I don't think I'm very hip, but uh, no, wow, that's uh, a lot of compliments, Buzz. I really appreciate that. Patagonia catalog and <laughs> making, I am glad the viewers can't see me blushing right now. <laughs> right, right. Well, it is that lifestyle because Carbondale, uh, wow, it's a little different than it used to be, but still, you know, the bottom of the Roaring Fork Valley. I'm, I'm still irked that the downtown is kind of being somewhat abandoned for that strip out on the highway, but the downtown is still very nice. And then you work for Aspen Mountain. Yeah, I'm, yeah. Well, tell us about that. I mean, that's, I'm sorry, but this, this is, this is lifestyle, isn't it? You're up there in the mountains. You're, you, I'm looking at your 37 FKT and FKTs and every one of them has been to the summit of a mountain. <laughs> and I'm looking at your race results. You know, it's kind of similar to that, you know, Kindle mountain run, stuff like that. And when you won the Aspen golden leaf, that's a very fast competitive race. So what's it like you, you drive or, you take the bus up Valley to Aspen mountain. Yeah. Yeah. Typically we have a great public transportation system, actually rural transportation. And so taking the bus carpooling as well and yeah, working up on the mountain uh, year round. It's really uh, what I'm most passionate about as you can kind of, like you said, from the FKTs, but also just from my work life, I, I hope to uh, yeah be outside as much as I can and end up on a mountain as many days as I can. So I'm super fortunate to uh, to yeah work up on Aspen Mountain, driving snowcats in the winter and then cutting trees in the summer, um, doing all sorts of different projects uh, with the trail crew. So you're a sawyer. Yeah. So yep. Yeah, lugging around a chainsaw and cutting a lot of dead trees and uh, trying to maintain the runs as best we can. So yeah, yeah, this, this, uh, this week we've got some snow coming and so hopefully we'll be doing, doing some burning, burning all of our slash piles that we've been building all summer and wrapping up, uh, wrapping up tons of different summer projects that we have, have going. Right. So in case people wonder what you just meant by that is there's this thing called wildfire out West. And so what you mean is you get a few inches of snow on the ground, then you can burn the slash pile. Because it's not going to go anywhere. The the cinders and the those chips that are flying, you know, three hundred feet up in the air, are going to land on top of snow. So it'll be a safe, controlled burn. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, we've had quite a few meetings about wildfires, and um, I'm sure you maybe saw some of the fires out in California were threatening some of the ski areas, and they were using snow, you know, snow guns to fight the fires. And so we're having a lot of those types of conversations and conversations around all the different beetles that are killing the trees and and uh yeah what we can do to you know manage manage all those different environmental challenges interesting i didn't know that you that'd be cool to use the snow gun so in case <laughs> so in case people don't know um the, the way snow making you don't kind of don't really make snow you just spray tiny droplets of water through this little mister nozzle at the end of the gun and you do that when the temperature is below freezing often at night and that comes down as snow but if it's uh, above freezing they're, they're just training it at the advancing fire line <laughs> yeah okay. yeah they were uh, they were using them and i i think they saved a few buildings uh, because of that so 
Hmm. Hmm. Well, I was, I didn't know that. I was just aware of the wineries that were being threatened by the fire. That, I guess we just have our different areas of interest. <laughs> yeah. Skiing, wine. They go well together though. They definitely do. Wow. That's, that's fascinating. Now you said snowcat. So are you a groomer? Yeah. Yep. So yep. Grooming and um, staying up all night, trying to uh, weigh down the best corduroy for our guests every night. Dang, man, I'm just uh, I'm just turning this over in my mind as other people probably are, uh, because people from ski country know they they've seen those big thigh calls out there, and you can't do it while people are skiing <laughs> because that that'd be obviously absurdly dangerous. And so you wait till everyone goes home and you turn on those big headlamps, you know, temperature could be zero. It could be snowing. It could be a blizzard. And you go out there and groom the slopes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a pretty, it's a pretty fun job. I've uh, I've really enjoyed it. It's, it's definitely challenging and uh, super rewarding at the same time. Hmm. Well, another little saying uh, which ap- applies to me, unfortunately, really kind of a clever one. Sitting is the new smoking, <laughs> you know? So they, they've done studies. They say a person could be an excellent athlete. They could go out and, you know, have a very, very good training program. But if they go back to the office or wherever it is and sit on a chair for eight hours a day, it's almost wiped out. Yeah, it's almost better to be doing what you're doing and not run for cardiovascular and structural health. Yeah, that's that is kind of interesting. Yeah, so like sitting in the snow cat for that many hours, kind of thing, or well, Sawyer would compensate for that. <laughs> <laughs> you there just got to wear the the noise canceling headphones, but the snow cat, you're you're moving around quite a bit, I believe. Yeah, there is, there is, yep. Um, but no, absolutely. The summer work is very physical. It uh, uh, once I've adjusted to it, I think it is kind of an advantage in terms of training and running and whatnot. But it it took a few seasons for sure, because because uh, yeah, it's very physical being up on the slopes every day and sometimes super steep terrain and loose rock and and uh, yeah, carrying around pretty heavy equipment. <laughs> well, so at first, what I just heard you say is that that might have set back your running training because you come back and you're just whooped. Is <laughs> my guess. I've done plenty of construction work, and when I was doing that, I wasn't running that much. And but now you've gotten used to it. So you just become a little stronger and become more stable. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, getting stronger over the years, and and uh, yeah, just kind of adjusting to it. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I'm again bouncing back to your FKTs here, and it's, uh, you know, gosh, Pyramid Peak, Pyramid. I mean, that's, hmm, as we know, I'm not sure if everyone else knows, Pyramid Peak is chossy. I don't want to insult people about the West Elks. And you also, you got the maroon bells and pyramid double. Ooh, man. I mean, people have died on the bells and they're not, you know, scaling cliffs as the journalist would like to say, the bells aren't that steep, but that's not stable rock. That's really loose. It is. Yeah. It is super loose and, and dangerous at times. I, like you mentioned, people have died and I lost a friend. Uh, we were at CU together 
freshman year, Spencer Nelson, he was on the ski team when I was running track and, and cross country. And, and, uh, unfortunately, yeah, there was an accident up on the bells. Um, so yeah, it, it is, it's, it's loose, it's chassis. Um, they're beautiful mountains, but I guess they come with their risks. Right. So you just get used to that type of terrain. I, yeah, I think so. It, it's, there's days where I, I'm feeling more comfortable and, um, I'm lucky to get out at times when there's virtually no people or very few people out. I think that's super important for the Elks. Uh, crowds are definitely not your friend. Um, and even small parties or going solo, you know, could be safer than being in a big group. Well, yeah. Because it's rolling rocks. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Hmm. <laughs> well, do you feel that you're downhilling? is improved because of the work that you do. For example, we mentioned Joe. Joe is unbeatable going up, um, but right. he's not the, he's, you know, he's good all round, but he's not, he doesn't tend to bomb the descents. He's a fast, very fast uphiller. Do you feel like you can you gain some time back on the descent? I, I think I probably fall on the spectrum closer to Joe. I'm definitely a better climber. Um, and for instance, that race in Oregon, I had a pretty big lead on Max King at the top of the race, but then the race finished at the bottom of the ski area and he rolled me up. Like I maybe have never been rolled up before. He, uh, <laughs> he's a very impressive descender. So I'd have to ask him, maybe see what he's doing uh, for, for his downhill abilities. Nice. Nice. Of course, that's kind of his home course. <laughs> yeah. I think he, I think he knew it pretty well and, uh, but no, I think the work definitely just the leg strength, that's, that's key for, for not being injured on the downhills. Cause it can take a toll, um, for sure. Gotcha. Nice. Well, I, I, heck, I, we're going to move on in a second, but I, I, I'm going through your 37 FKTs and I'm just boing, boing, boing. I'm, you know, all these memories coming back, all these things I'd love to talk about. I just suddenly looked at Mount Garfield. Oh yeah, nice, nice. Which I'm glad you I, brought it. Which I just did two days ago. Oh, cool. I, cool. I was driving back from Moab, and almost very frequently, I generally live in Boulder, and of course, Boulderites tend to go to Moab in Utah, and going to and from right outside of Palisade, next to Grand Junction, Mount Garfield is extremely prominent, and we like it because you can do it in the winter. Yeah. You know, when yeah, everything yeah. else is just snow covered, Mount Garfield is not. But that is a crank. Is it? Yeah, it sure is. And uh, yeah, I'm glad you brought up Mount Garfield because that, I don't know if I can really choose a favorite FKT, but that one really is up there. I, I really love that that climb. And uh, the views at the top are amazing. So yeah, that's a super fun route. <laughs> well, so pe- just so people know, um, we got all kinds of FKTs. You know, people have done quadruple crossings of the Grand Canyon. Uh, just you know, every thirteener in Wyoming, we we do the ma- we do the massive routes, including the entire traverse of the Pyrenees. Uh, Mediterranean to the Atlantic just came through a few days ago, for example. But everything is good. So Mount Garfield, you did the ascent only, twenty three minutes. 50 seconds so that's uh that's no ultra race is it no right yeah 23 minutes yeah it's it's uh it is a short one for sure um but yeah that's one of the great things about fkts there's a huge spectrum 
from the multi-day, multi-week adventures to uh, Mount Garfield. That's 20, uh, 20 something minutes. Right. Well, for some people. <laughs> and just so people know, we, we do have a, a minimum standard. Uh, everything must be at least five miles or 500 feet of vert. And Garfield is way less than five miles, but way more than 500 feet of vert. If I recall, my watch said, you know, I just did it two days ago. I think I, it's in my mind. I think it's like 1,850 feet in a mile, 1.7 miles. So, and that, that includes three flat sections. <laughs> so when you're going up on that, you're going up. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I don't know what's, maybe that initial climb just right from the, from the parking lot is it's been a little while, I guess, since I've been there, but, uh, it's a, it's a burly climb for sure. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, there you go again, Joe, just kind of, you know, downplaying it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, if, if I, I actually looked it up on my, my Strava because I was just wondering what the, what was the vert on that? <laughs> I think it was 850 feet and four tenths of a mile. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That sounds right. <laughs> so if it, if it went higher, it'd be a good vertical K course, but it's shorter than a vertical K. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That would be cool though. That would be a cool course. Have you ever thought of, do- I don't see any on here. Have you ever thought of doing a VK? I have done a couple actually, uh, Aspen mountain. We had, used to have one in the summer and then, uh, which, uh, I did now it's probably been five or six years ago. It's one of the first times that I raced, uh, Joe gray and he definitely beat me by quite a bit. <laughs> and, uh, and then we also do a winter one as well. Well, it was Aspen called, mountain. it was called America's uphill. Exactly. Yep. And it was, it was your choice of gear. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you can have, you can skin, you can do, I guess you could do snowshoes. A lot of people run uh, with micro spikes. So you can choose your own category. And, and that's a, that's a pretty fun race. Vertical K is, uh, it's hard. It's a very different burn. You definitely, (laughs) you definitely, uh, you hurt in a different way. Sure. <laughs> um, I haven't heard anything about it. Is, did you say it's no longer happening? The summer one isn't, but the uh, winter one still does. Gotcha. And it's still your choice of equipment. Yeah. Yep. Hmm. And I think hmm. depending on the snow, depending on, you know, maybe when the run was groomed, I, I think it could go either way. What's faster. Um, this past year I did it and I got second. The guy who won, John Gaston, he was on skis, and he's a he's a phenomenal schemo racer uh, and mountain biker. And so I don't know, it's maybe a toss up on what on what is faster depending on the snow conditions. That's good. I like it. Tactics. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, in FKTs, um, we of course we want to make it fair, a level playing field. But we also completely appreciate tactics. So if someone figures out a faster way to do something, as long as it's within the guidelines, we say, cool, that, that, that's all right. That's fine. Now, not within the guidelines is to use a bicycle, for example, and you know, things like that. But uh, I, I like tactics. It's, uh, it, it adds a little bit of knowledge and experience. Yeah, yeah, that's 
for sure. I think there's, there's a lot to be said for that and, and getting better at routes and from anything from the route finding to your nutrition and kind of getting dialed in on a particular route. Some of those that you mentioned, uh, I guess, pyramid or maybe the bells, uh, capital, it's it definitely wasn't my first time up there. <laughs> I had been up on those mountains quite a few times and, and failed to get the FKT quite a few times. So, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely experience is, is very important. Did you did you do the knife edge on Capitol? Yeah, yeah, I did the knife edge and um, kind of on the different end of the spectrum in terms of quality of rock, Capitol is a bit better than the Bells, which is cool and uh, makes that route really fun. Right. I, I don't know how that happened, but Capitol is really good granite. Well, the Bells and Pyramid, that's that uh, Permian shales that are just not strong. Well, Capitol is that nice gray granite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it, there's still loose rock above the knife edge going towards the summit, but it's nothing like, you know, nothing quite like the Bells or Pyramid or some of the 13ers right around those, those peaks. So basically, again, I'm sorry, I go through this whole list here. I'm not going to do that, but still it keeps catching my eye. You basically have the FKT and everything you can see <laughs> from where you live. <laughs> I mean, here it is, Mount Sopras. So people should know Mount Sopras. Anyone who's been to Glenwood Springs or driven up to Carbondale, if you look up the valley, Mount Sopras is what you're seeing. So you had to get the FKT on Sopras. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's right in the backyard. So uh, I don't know. I, I definitely prefer routes that are closer just in terms of driving and not burning as much gas, you know, having to travel all over for, for, uh, different routes. Um, and I think that kind of goes along with racing too. I, I definitely am happy to race in Colorado and not get on a plane every time I'm going to go, uh, go do a race or, or do a route. Right. Right. That's nice. I appreciate that. Um, so kind of coming back around to that, grew up in BV, moved to Next Valley over to one of the most famous, uh, recreational areas in North America, work up there at Aspen. So, so culturally or economically or socially, what have you seen, Joe? It's, it's gotten interesting. Um, <laughs> and Aspen is one of the first. You know what I mean? The other later resort towns have had to deal with issues such as no housing, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, it's it's like there's a millionaire on every street, but they're not cooking their own food. They're not cleaning their houses, yabba yabba. So where do the people who take care of everything, where do they live? And I remember I used to go up to Aspen 30 years ago, and they were starting to deal with it back then. They were starting to provide employee housing. And like you said, that that the bus system that comes up from down Valley. So what does it look like to you? You know, this better than I do. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think there's a lot to it. Yeah. Aspen is, is in a lot of ways, the poster child for the glitz and glam of a resort ski town. Uh, I think they in some ways pioneered that. And then they've also had to pioneer solutions around that. Cause like you said, the workforce can't afford to live uh, in the town unless the unless the town steps in and provides subsidized housing and 
you know, a, a rural transportation system like the bus system and carpooling. And so, yeah, no, Aspen is a, is a super unique place. I, a couple of my uncles, they lived in Aspen you know, almost 50 years ago and they lived in a teepee. So it's, uh, it's changed uh, wh- a lot. What was their name? <laughs> yeah. You might, you might know them Chester and uh, Barton. They oh, were. That... No, I didn't know them. I knew, uh, uh, Craig, um, oh gosh, which is Dawson? Oh, Craig Dawson used to live up in a TV a teepee, um, which was you know, like you said, it, it, it sounds bizarre to be in Aspen, you know, famous glitz and glamour, but there were people out there doing it a little differently. Yeah, 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 definitely. And there's still, I think, there's still a lot of heart in these ski towns. There's a lot of people that are there for the right reasons and people that wake up and, and just, uh, grind every day just to make it happen to be in the mountains skiing and on the river, you know, and just running the trails. I think that I don't know. Sometimes that is overshadowed a bit, but there, there is still, there's still people here doing it the right way. Excellent. I appreciate that. I think you're totally right. So the outsider can say, Oh my gosh, look at this. And they, you know, they're watching, you know, the uh, very wealthy people come in, flying in and just laying down serious chunks of cash. And you're kind of going, well, what's up with that? But then there's thousands, well, may not just, just like you, but there's thousands of people out there grinding every day who love the mountains. And like you say, they're for the right reasons. Aspen is a very good example because, you know, they go way back. You know, they Aspen is a, as a ski town predates almost well, not sun Valley, Idaho and places like that, but predates a lot of places in Colorado and Utah. And there was a strong art community as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's, it's, it's got a kind of its own art scene, I think, and culture around, around art. And yeah, this is our 75th year um, for the mountain. So, so yeah, it's been around a while. Uh, what what issues? Well, you just mentioned you've had about a number of meetings, probably regarding climate change. I spent a lot of the summer in Michigan, where a person could be a climate change denier. I mean, you could read the science, you could read the facts, you could read the you know New York Times or whatever, but you could still say, ah, no, I don't really believe it. But you come out west, you you got to believe it. It's in your face, mm-hmm. and at a ski area, you're you're looking at that all the time for whether it's, you know, wildfire or snow, et cetera. So what, what are the discussions at a place like Aspen mountain? Something we've been discussing. So of course, I think a lot of people maybe know about the pine beetle, which is taking out a lot of lodgepole pine across the state. There's also the Doug fir beetle, which is uh, starting to threaten, you know, Douglas fir trees and their spruce beetles. And, so it's, it's, I guess, recognizing that these issues are, are much bigger and they're not going away. And of course, you know, with snow, with skiing, uh, you know, winters are getting shorter. Um, I guess it's a, it's a, it's a complicated issue that, um, the, the ski industry is a bit of a just canary in the coal mine. We're kind of, we're going to see it, I think, in our industry before maybe we do in others. And uh, I hope to, 
hope to be a part of the change that makes skiing exist <laughs> for you know long until I'm gone. And I know uh, Aspen Ski Company is definitely committed uh, to that as well. Good to hear that. I think they're progressive. I think, again, I just have to put this out there. From what I've seen, I've talked to people who you know have worked there in management. They are committed. They are progressive. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely a big commitment to influencing uh, the decision makers in Washington, D.C. Um, I used to serve on the Aspen Ski Company Environment Foundation Board. I did a three-year term and so, yeah, there's there's different initiatives going on, and I think that there's there's people in charge that are, yeah, that are committed to to like I said, kind of keeping skiing around for for much longer than our lifetime. Good, I appreciate that. And transportation, I know they work with that too. Um, employee housing, they work with. That's good. I think there was a strike in Breckenridge this summer they literally went on strike yeah yeah and there's you know and there's that side of it too with uh you know historically the ski industry is has been a pretty low wage industry and that's challenging um right now and and pretty much any season keeping good people around can be tough and i think there's a couple different reasons a couple big reasons for that um but yeah i think housing is going to continue to be a, a major issue. Hmm. Right. Interesting. Well, another, <laughs> I'm sorry, but I, I just, I think this is so fascinating. I got a couple, I have a few more questions here. So one is a really interesting one. So if someone's listening to this and they're going, wow, Joe, he's up there, he's running up summits every weekend. He's living in the mountains. He can ski in the winter. He can you know, kayak in the spring and, of course, run all the time. Is it possible for someone to move there? Just, <laughs> just literally saying that. What would you say to someone who says, I'd like to move out there? What does that look like? Uh, let's see. I would uh, I would quote Yogi Berra and say, uh, nobody goes there anymore. It's too crowded. <laughs> <laughs> I guess in all seriousness, I think in order to make this lifestyle work, you – you have to be really committed. You have to really want it. Uh, and some people only want it for a season or maybe two seasons. And, and that's totally fine. You know, maybe they just want the experience before they go to college or uh, maybe a gap year or something. But um, yeah, I guess uh, it's, it's also, yeah, important to know that it's not, it's not all just fun and games living up in the mountains. We have our major challenges around mental health and, and we've touched on a few of the others like housing and, and uh, yeah, just general affordability. I like that. You have to, you have to really want it. You can't just walk up there and, you know, look at the classified ads for the job or the apartment. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Well, speaking of the other activities, traditionally, there's something up there called mud season. (laughs) And so people work like mad in the winter and often in the summer. But in between, you know, when the ski area closes, usually first, second weekend in April, that tends to be called mud season. And everyone goes down to the Grand Canyon, goes out in Moab and goes biking, et cetera, et cetera. Is that what you do? Yeah, yeah. I definitely like to get away. My wife and I like to get out to the desert. Um, 
usually in the springtime, but sometimes in the fall as well, or, or just to get out somewhere different. And it's, uh, yeah, it's important to mix it up. Right. Well, it's, it's, it's just funny. I mean, there's like this stream of cars, uh, or I could say stream of SUVs leaving, you know, Crested Butte and Aspen and not so much Vail, you know, the middle of April, this it's like the highways are crowded heading out to Moab. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, they're, you know, Moab's a pretty amazing place and they've definitely dealt with, uh, increase in tourism and kind of the growing pains around that. So I, uh, I still think it's an amazing place, but, um, yeah, it's different than 20, 30 years ago for sure. I, I used to take a lot of family trips out to the desert growing up. And so, yeah, I guess I've been doing, doing those types of, uh, mud, mud season escape trips for a while. Moab's way different than it was two or three years ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. But we, quick heads up, we are going to have a series of podcasts on Moab coming up this winter. Okay. Uh, because for the reasons you just said, it's 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 shifted into the fishbowl of what do you do? What does the recreational economy really look like? Is industrial tourism a, a thing? You know what I mean? So on one hand, you know, we're all athletes we all recreational otherwise you probably wouldn't be listening to this podcast but does that have any negative effects how can we manage that better because at the same time i would have to presume where most of us are all environmentally orientated as well and so we're gonna have a little series of podcasts uh, taking place in moab this winter based on what you just said so thank you for that quick lead into that one joe <laughs> yeah no problem <laughs> so what do you see it's my traditional question every podcast what do you see coming up for you next of course it's uh, middle of october so you probably see ski season coming up for you next have you, have you bounced out to the desert yet or is it too late for that now no you're exactly right i i uh, took the words out of my mouth yeah ski season is is really uh what i'm looking forward to most and and then uh, bigger projects, hopefully in 2022 in the mountains. So there's a couple that I've come up short on. And uh, yeah, that'll be kind of my focus um, post-ski season. Ah, so you uh, you have a, a few ideas, some missions coming up next year. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I don't want to, I guess probably not good form to <laughs> talk too, too much about it. But yeah, I hope to to get into some bigger routes and, and longer routes. And like I said, the routes that I've attempted and and failed on. So yeah, that's, that's kind of the rough plan. But, it's always such a fun conversation to have because I'll say to someone, hey, what do you got coming up next? And they'll say, well, then they'll hesitate to you can know what they're thinking. They're thinking, well, I'm not sure if I want to say this because if I say this, then other people are going to hear it and they're going to go out and get after it too. So you <laughs> kind of want to keep it a little close to the belt. Is that uh, at play here? There's, I mean, there's maybe a little bit of gamesmanship, but uh, I think that's maybe kind of part of the fun as well. Um, I'm deceptively, I, I'm a super competitive person. And so I try not to let it creep into all aspects of my life but <laughs> i do uh yeah i do have a competitive edge i guess excellent that's i think it's human nature so good for you that's uh some people have said uh you know life is love well i don't know uh, well, great fine that's terrific <laughs> I, life is probably competition 
Um, you know, the grasses yeah. compete, you know, insects, bacteria and viruses compete all the time. And humans compete as part of our human nature, biological nature. And I, as long as it moves in a, a cooperative and productive direction, it's, it's very beneficial. And I'd like to view competition as being positive and beneficial. And so that we're maximizing who we are rather than any negative, belligerent, aggressive aspects. Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. I think that's really what kind of sparked me getting into FKTs full on was uh, 2019, I was racing a bunch. And then 2020, I had all these plans for races. And and obviously, with the global pandemic, that that changed pretty quick. And so yeah, needing that competitive outlet, uh, FKTs were, were perfect. And they, yeah, they still still serve that purpose for me. Excellent. Well, We'll wrap it up by uh, fine-tuning the what's next question, which is, oops, I <laughs> forgot to uh, tie this up. Thailand is the site for the 2022 World Championships. So it's on the men's side. It's you, uh, Joe, and Max. Yeah, and then uh, Eddie Owens, he was uh, fourth at, at USA's. And, yeah, actually that race was supposed to happen uh, in about a month. And it got postponed to February 2022, and so yeah, we'll see what happens. Fingers crossed, it's it's able to uh, to happen. That's interesting. So, hmm. Will that put people like you at a disadvantage because you're living up there in snow country? <laughs> they have a a mountain race take place in February down in essentially the tropics. Yeah, I think it's definitely, it's been on my mind a little bit and just the amount that I'm able to train during the winter with work and, and everything. And then also wanting to, to focus on skiing. So, um, yeah, it'll be, it'll be a factor and I guess, I guess we'll see. We can't, can't control it. So. Right. On the other hand, you can go swimming in a white sand beach afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. If, if it happens, I'll be, I'll be stoked. So fingers crossed. Definitely. Well, thank you, Joe, for spending your time with us and thank you for the work that you do and for providing us with your perspective. Ah, so fun to talk about Colorado mountains. Yeah, no, thank you, Buzz. I, I've listened to a bunch of different episodes, so it's a little surreal uh, getting to talk with you. And, and uh, yeah, really happy to, uh, to have this conversation. Hopefully can do it again, maybe, uh, maybe in person someday. Excellent. I, that'd be lovely, Joe. If I'm up there, I'll give you a ring. 